0: Well, good morning. I'm very excited to be here this morning. I've uh, been preparing for this for quite a few weeks now. Actually, uh, my English class this past quarter, I had the opportunity to discuss my beliefs on a controversial topic, and the topic that I chose was: Should Jesus Christ be accepted as God? Along the way in writing this essay, I asked for uh, my dad asked me if I would like to make this into a sermon, so I pursued it. And I thought it was a great idea. So this morning what I'll be sharing with you is a version of my essay as I, uh, I talk about should Jesus be considered God. I would like to thank God, first of all, for giving me this opportunity uh, and those in the assembly here I've talked to you for help along the way. So I'd like to start off by, write, by reading a poem. It says, He was born in an obscure village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. He then became an itinerant preacher. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a house. He didn't go to college. He had no credentials but himself. 20 centuries have come and gone, and today he remains the central figure of the human race. All of the armies that ever marched and all of the parliaments that ever sailed all the parliaments that ever sat, all the navies that ever sailed, and all the kings that ever reigned have not affected the life of people on this earth as that man has, as that one solitary life. This man had no fame or no fortune, and he was born in a humble, tiny little village. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. The world despised and rejected this man. He befriended the weak and the helpless, and reached out to the hopeless and yet his own people put him to death. No one has had a greater impact on the more people than that one solitary life. And that one solitary life that I want to tell you about this morning is none other than Jesus Christ, Son of God. Now, I want you to all think with me as I go through this. If God came to earth as a man, what would you expect him to be like, and what would you expect him to do while he was on earth? You expect, him that he would, you expect him to be full of love. You expect him to be all-knowing and all-powerful. You expect him to be righteous, holy, full of grace, and so much more. If God came to earth as a man, there would be, have to be some evidence that proves that he is God. First of all, you'd expect him to claim to be God. And you would expect him to fulfill prophecies that were directly related to him. You would expect him to perform extraordinary miracles, such as casting out demons, healing the blind, um, raising the dead, healing a paralyzed man, all of these miraculous things. And even demonstrating authority over nature you'd expect that many, many eyewitnesses would believe that he is God. And if God came to earth as a man, you'd also expect that he'd be free of a sin nature. Finally, if God came to earth as a man, you'd expect that he would conquer death itself. Jesus claims that he is God. If his claim is true, what is the evidence that we have to support his claim? The late uh, C.S. Lewis, who is a well-known Christian apologist and University of Oxford graduate, popularized a trilemma about who Jesus was. He was either a lunatic, a liar, or a lord. If his claims to be God were false, then he kn- and he knew that they were false, then he was a liar. This thinking, however, falls short when you think that a liar would not die for their beliefs. If he was really a liar, he would have backed out from his claims. So we see if his claims were false, and he knew that they were false, then he was a liar, and he died a fool. But on the other hand, if he, what his, his claims were really false, and he did not know that they were false, then he was seriously deluded, and he would be a lunatic. But Josh McDowell, who is a former agnostic, and now is a current christian apologist and author wrote that jesus spoke some of the most profound words ever spoken some that even even set free those in mental bondage jesus christ was no lunatic when someone is mentally unstable they cannot make rational decisions for themselves and they cannot generate reasonable ideas so you'd be ignorant to believe that Jesus Christ was a lunatic. If his claims to be God were true, however, then he is God, and we are only left with two choices. We either accept him as God, or we deny him that he is not God. Christ left us with some astounding claims. We either choose to accept him or reject him, but there is no middle ground at all. I believe that there is overwhelming evidence to prove that Jesus Christ is God and that we should accept him. So, let's see if he can prove himself. So I want to treat this like a court case. So we're going to have five exhibits and see if the evidence can speak for itself. So we have Exhibit A, which is his personal statement. So Jesus claimed that he is God, In two different sections of the Bible, we read about the beginning of creation. We see in Genesis 1:1 that it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, And in John 1, verses 1 through 3 and verse 14, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. Then in verse 14 it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and beheld his glory. The glory has only begotten full of... (sighs) And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Since God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, it is obvious that he existed before them. John, who was a disciple of An eyewitness to everything that Jesus did. John calls him the Word. The easiest way of understanding these verses of uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, is to substitute the name Jesus for the phrase the Word or He or Him. So let's go through this again one more time. So we see it says, In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Jesus. And without Jesus, nothing was made that was made. Jesus is God. Jesus also claimed to be eternal. Which is an attribute that only belongs to God. Jesus claimed to be eternal when he declared in John 8, verse 58, he said, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. What appears to be improper grammar is actually not. This was a reference to a statement that God made back when he was speaking to Moses in Exodus, 3, Exodus chapter 3, uh, 13 and 14. The declaration behind this verse is that he existed before Abraham was, while Abraham was alive, and that he still exists as he's speaking to these people that day. I am is a title which speaks of absolute, timeless self-existence, qualities which can only be true of God, yet Jesus quietly used it about himself. When someone says that they are God, they better be able to prove that they can back up, they better be able to back up their statement. There is abundant evidence to verify his claim. We see later in John 14, 6, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Through this, we come to understand that Jesus claimed to be more than just another religious leader, such as Muhammad or Confucius or Buddha. He was much different. He clearly states that he is the way to God, that he holds all truth within himself, and that he is the giver of all life. No other religious leader would dare to make such claims as Jesus did. Anyone who claims to be God should have the credentials to prove that he is God. So now we move on to Exhibit B. We take a look at his prophecy that he fulfilled. And I want you to all think about this. How difficult is it for even the weatherman to predict the forecast for the week? You think it might be sunny, but, and then it turns out to be rainy. So no one can predict, even the weatherman cannot predict, with all those instruments and tools, cannot predict 100% exactly what will happen. With all of this equipment, you know, throughout the Bible, there are 353 prophecies which... <clears throat> Which Jesus, of a of a savior who was to come, which Jesus personally fulfilled, for a normal man to at, even attempt to fulfill just a few of these would be impossible. However, say that a man were just to fulfill eight of these prophecies, mathematics professor Peter W. Stoner set out to see if this would be even be reasonable. He says that suppose we took an atheistic professor, blindfolded him, and covered him, uh, covered the state of Texas two feet deep. In silver dollars. So you see these planes. Imagine that as far as the eye can see, silver dollars everywhere. And he says that the odds of one person fulfilling just eight of these prophecies is the same as if you put a check on all those silver dollars on one of those silver dollars and this man finds it on his first try. The odds are one times ten to the power of twenty-eight. A number that's staggering. But Jesus fulfilled them all and will fulfill them all. The evidence speaks for itself. Jesus is God. And now we move on to Exhibit C. His miracles that he performed. Who in all of history has had authority over death? Who in all of history has had authority over sickness and disease, over demons and nature, God is the only one in the Old Testament who has proven himself to have authority over all of these things. When John the Baptist sent messengers to Jesus to see if he is the Messiah, Jesus proclaimed, the blind blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus performed many marvelous miracles while he was on earth. In many of the places he went, he performed miracles to people to authenticate to them that he is God so that they would believe in him and follow him. For example, we see that Jesus restored the sight of two blind men in Matthew 9 27 through 30. It says, As Jesus went out from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, Have mercy on us. And when they had gone indoors, the blind man came to him and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their sight was restored. Many people say that seeing is believing. But when it comes to this, the matter really is that believing is seeing. What eye doctor do you know of who you could go to and he would heal a blind man? Or how many of you could go to the hospital right now to the sickest patient and heal them? Clearly, Jesus is God. Another miracle which proves that Jesus is God is found in Matthew chapter 9, verses 2 through 8. We see that Jesus had authority over, the, over paralysis and sin. It says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. No. Yeah. At this, some of the preachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their hearts, though, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say? To say, Your sins are forgiven? or say, go, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority to, on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to man. Anyone anyone could have said to this man, your sins are forgiven, but he would still be stuck in their sins. It is a fact that this man rose up and walked among countless witnesses in the crowds that proves that not only Jesus has authority to heal the paralysis of this man, but that he has the authority to forgive his sins and our sins. The same God who commands the paralyzed man to walk is the same god who can forgive us of our sins wow nothing is too great nothing is too difficult for god to do this is what the lord god says in jeremiah 32:27 i am the lord the god of all mankind is anything too hard for me this man who claimed to be god not only healed a paralyzed man, but forgave him of his sins, Jesus once again unmistakably proves that he is God. A third example that we see is that Jesus raised a dead man to life in John, in the book of John. When the people told Jesus that his dear friend Lazarus had died a few days ago, he went to the graveside And he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! And he who had died came bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. This man who claimed to be God raised a dead man to life, the man who has authority over death in the same manner God has himself. This man, Jesus Christ, is indisputably God. So, so far, we have seen three instances where Jesus has authenticated himself to be God by performing various miracles. He has shown that he has power over sickness. He has shown that he has authority to forgive sin and that he has the power to raise a dead man to life. Now, let's look, at, let me show you his absolute authority over nature. Jesus showed his authority over nature when he was in a small boat with his disciples during a raging storm. The account showed that he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet! Be still! Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. How many of you could go outside right now and command the wind to stop or a raging storm to cease? Jesus did what only God could do. Therefore, Jesus Christ must be God. Any honest man or woman has to admit that the credentials of Jesus Christ are overwhelming. No one else in history has been his equal. Jesus must be God. Now we see in Exhibit D, we see his personal character. What man is there in all of history who has never sinned? Every one of us here has sinned multiple times, whether it be through lying, hatred, lust, envy, you name it. We have all done it. The list goes on and on. In Romans, Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all sinners, and we cannot compare to God's perfection. See, God cannot sin. Nor will he have any part of it. God has a sinless nature. Who else can be sinless but God himself? So God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the earth. And Bible faith records that he never sinned. The scripture strongly emphasizes Christ's sinless nature. Paul, who had been an outright enemy to Christ and whose life was later transformed by Jesus, said that Jesus knew no sin. Peter, who was a disciple of Jesus Christ, said that he committed no sin. And John, who was perhaps the most intimately acquainted with Jesus, said that in him there is no sin. Jesus did not know sin on the first-hand basis like we do. He never actually committed any sin like we have. And finally, because he was born of a virgin, he bypassed the sinful nature that we have. And he has a sinless nature. Even his enemies had to acknowledge that Jesus was without fault. Pontius Pilate and King Herod could not find a single fault in him while he was being questioned and falsely accused for all kinds of wrongdoing that he never did. Luke 23 verses 13 through 15 says this. Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, "You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found I have found no fault in him concerning those things which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent him back to for I sent you back to him. And indeed." Nothing deserving of death has been done by him. See, even the governor and the king did not find a single fault after countless accusations that were thrown at him. Pontius Pilate so firmly believed that Jesus was innocent that he, that he tried to release him not once, not twice, but he tried to release him three different times. But the people, they shouted, crucify him, crucify him, and they would not let up. They were so fiercely opposed to having Jesus be set free that they were more willing to have a murderer and rebel, Barabbas, be set free than to have Jesus set free. Later in Luke 23, we see that it says that it was a thief on a cross alongside Jesus. His eyes were opened as he saw who Jesus Christ was. He saw his own personal guilt and he saw the innocence of Jesus Uh, that Jesus had as he was on the cross next to him the thief recognized that he himself was being crucified for his crimes and then he said to the thief uh, no the thief recognized that he himself was being crucified for his own crimes and he said to the other thief on the other side of the cross and we indeed justly for we receive the due reward of our deeds but this man this man has done nothing wrong And he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, "Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This thief not only recognized that Jesus was innocent, but that he is God and has the power to forgive sins. Because of this man's belief, Jesus forgave him of all his sins, and he entered into paradise that day. So what man can say in all of history that they have never sinned? There's only one man who has make, who's been able to make such a claim. And his name is none other than Jesus Christ. So since this man, Jesus Christ, exhibits the same sinless nature as God, who else can he be but God? Who else is sinless but God? Now we move on to Exhibit E. We talk about his death and resurrection. Who in all of history has predicted their own death accurately and then raised themselves from the dead? There is none but Jesus Christ. Some might be able to to predict their death with some small degree of accuracy, but none will be able to be very accurate. And even if they were somewhat accurate, could they even raise themselves from the dead? No man could. But Jesus did. We see in Matthew 20, verses 17 through 19, it says, Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles and mock and discourage and to crucify. And on the third day he will rise again. We see in the the chapters detailing the crucifixion and resurrection that Jesus fulfilled his prediction down to the last detail. Just take a moment and think about that. Isn't that just amazing? We see through reading the Gospels that all of these were fulfilled just as he said they would. Just take a... (laughs) If you knew someone that could predict their own death and resurrection, and it was fulfilled to the last detail... Who would you say that they are? Many people say that they simply do not believe that the resurrection is true because they say, I wasn't there, I didn't see it happen, so I'm not going to believe it. Many people have this idea that they want concrete evidence before believing in something so out there, as they say. It seems so impossible to them. The people in that day were so skeptical just as the people are today, that a resurrection can occur. But once they saw for themselves that Jesus raised himself from the dead, they had no doubt that it was true at all. They had no doubt. These people are just like people today who are very skeptical that something like this could happen. Well, I want you to know for all the doubters, the Bible has abundant evidence to prove that Jesus died on the cross was buried and rose on the third day. In fact, the evidences are so overwhelming that it would be illogical to deny them. The evidence of eyewitness testimony alone is overwhelming. We see that Paul writes to the city of Corinth, and he provides evidences to prove that Jesus rose from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8, it says, For I delivered To you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again in the third day, rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part (coughs) remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James and then by the apostles. Then, last of all, he was seen by me also as one being born out of dune time. For Jesus to have been seen by this many people after he was clearly killed through his crucifixion is staggering. The fact that he was seen by a crowd of over 500 people at once leaves no room to think these eyewitness accounts, accounts are all fabricated. The people of Corinth could go and ask the most of these people, since they were still alive at the time of this writing, to see if this was in, in fact true. Paul certainly would not put himself in a situation like this and give all these eyewitnesses unless he knew for certain that this resurrection was indeed truth. Furthermore, there have been people all throughout history and even to this day who have been willing to give up their lives in defense for Christ's resurrection. Why would so many people give up their lives in defense for Christ's resurrection if it wasn't true? But it is true. With so many eyewitnesses to validate that, Christ, uh, that Christ's resurrection is true, um, and that these people will go as far they, as they can to die for their beliefs. who can die, who can deny it? Since Christ has risen from the dead, whom among us can deny that he is God? Certainly, there is more than enough evidence to validate that Christ did not have a fraudulent resurrection with so many obstacles in his way, it seems that it would be impossible to fake. First of all, the Roman guards who were professional executioners. They made sure that Jesus was dead. To confirm his death, the guards pierced his side with his spear, and blood and water gushed out from his side. Three medical doctors, writing for the Journal of the Medical Association, conclude that the spear thrust through the right rib probably perforated not only the right lung, but also the pericardium and the heart and thereby ensuring his death. Secondly, the tomb which was laid which he was laid in only had one exit and the guards were covering it. <coughs> the tomb weighed thousands of pounds. It would be far too heavy for people to move out of the way. And on top of that, they put a Roman seal on the tomb so that if someone moved it it would be broken. And it was also a law punishable by death. So people would not dare to touch it. In Matthew 27, 65 through 66, it says, Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. You see, every every single effort was made to prevent a fraudulent resurrection. But all of these efforts were futile. The fact of the matter is that the people of that day made certain that Jesus was dead, that he was buried, and that his tomb was secure as best as they knew how. All of these efforts were made to stop his resurrection from happening because because Jesus predicted that he would rise from the dead on the third day but no man can stop what God wants to do. And Jesus, God the Son, raised himself from the dead. Clearly we see that there is abundant evidence to prove that Jesus is God. But Jesus did not just come to earth to prove that he is God. He did so much more than that. He came to deliver us from the penalty of our sins. In Romans Chapter 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, when you think of a worker, a worker justly deserves their wages for their work. In the same way, we have earned our wages. We have earned these wages of sin, and the penalty is nothing less than death. We are all deserving of hell. And God demands the payment of death for our sins. But God is kind. God is loving. God is merciful. And God is full of grace. And God does not want us to be separated from him. So he has provided the perfect sacrifice. He has provided the perfect sacrifice to die in our place. And that perfect sacrifice is Jesus Christ. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be born of a virgin so that he would have no sin in him. He lived a perfect life and never sinned. Then Jesus took the full penalty of our sin and he paid the penalty in full by dying on the cross. And he offers a free gift of forgiveness to all who believe in him. A free gift. Jesus fully paid the penalty of our sins and completely defeated the power of sin. Sin's grip in our lives has been defeated. And if you truly believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day, you will be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have, but shall have everlasting life. So we have concluded that Jesus is God, and we know that he was the perfect, sinless sacrifice, who paid it in full, our sins on that cross. But our sins are not <coughs> taken care of unless we receive him as our personal Savior. And I want to ask you personally, will you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? I want you to think, through me, think with me as I go through this next illustration. We have arrived at this question. Will you accept him Or will you deny him? Will you believe in his death and resurrection? Or will you say, that's not for me, I don't believe it? Jesus only left us with two choices in this matter. So now I want you to visualize this. You are out in the middle of the ocean. Your boat has sunk and you are drowning. You have no life preserver. There is nothing for you to hold on to. And there is no land in sight. There is no one to save you. And you clearly cannot save yourself. You cannot save yourself from dying in this situation. You recognize that you are absolutely hopeless. You can't save yourself. But then a boat comes comes along and someone calls out from the deck of the ship, I will throw you a life preserver all you have to do is accept the help and you will be saved. But if you reject the help, then you will die from drowning. In the same way, we are all drowning in sin and you cannot save yourself. There is only one Savior, however. He is Jesus Christ. He died on the cross to save you from your sins and that all you have to do is believe that he died on the cross for your sins that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day and you will be saved. But some of you here, you still make excuses while you're drowning. You say, I will wait until the next boat comes along. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Or maybe you'll say, I'm a good person and I haven't done that much to, to condemn me but that would just be like a drowning man saying, there's not enough water in this ocean to drown me. And the Bible says in Romans 3.10, there is none righteous. No, not one. Your good works will not save you. You cannot give to the needy and give to the poor and you will, get, you will, not, get a, you will not get forgiveness of sins that way. Jesus is the only way. Or maybe you will say, I really need to think about my education right now. And then after that, I need to start a family and think about my career. And then once I enter retirement and I'm old and I'm on my deathbed, then maybe I'll consider these things. But we are not guaranteed to live until tomorrow. 2 Corinthians 6 2 says that today is the day of salvation. Or maybe you say, I choose to not believe that I'm drowning. But if you choose to believe that you're not drowning, it doesn't change the fact that you are still drowning. It's just like a cancer patient who chooses not to believe that they have cancer. The cancer will kill them eventually, whether they choose to no, or not to believe it. The cancer is there. In the same way, sin is like a cancer to us. But Jesus can cure. He can forgive us of our sins. Maybe you will say, I want to live my life the way I want to. But you are drowning. And you will not have a life at all if you, are, if you die and drown. Jesus offers eternal life. And all you have to do is accept. All of these excuses are madness. Does a drowning man completely ignore his impending doom? Really? Really? How can you seriously even say these things among yourselves? You will drown and die in your sins unless you believe. But know this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What will you do with that one solitary life? Let's pray. Lord, thank You for this, this Word that You've given us this morning. I pray that these people would take to heart what You have to say through me. I pray that today, people would realize that today is the day of salvation. Not waiting until tomorrow. Not waiting until they are older. Today is the day of salvation. I pray that people would leave with a changed, changed hearts, Lord. Open hearts that they would all accept your word and accept, accept you as God and believe that you died on the cross, was, were buried, and that you rose again on the third day, and that they would believe in your gospel. I pray these things in your name, Lord. Amen.